Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Scholar Homies podcast. The game is to be sold, not told, conversations with the soul. I am here with Dr. Angel Gonzalez. Thank you so much for popping in. Hey, thanks so much for having me, boo. Super excited. <laughs> I am so excited. So if you don't know, Dr. Angel Gonzalez and I go way, way back. It's my boo thing. Um, 10 years of friendship and Hi, we've just been on this journey together a for journey. it's been a journey and this is the I've been waiting to have you on the podcast specifically because I told you um I wanted to wait until we had um you're on the job market and so yes. I, I wanted to wait to see how that was gonna I knew this was gonna be a year and just so that it's flat out there, we're not going to make an announcement officially on the podcast, and we are not going to uh, name any names of universities. We have pseudonyms for these universities. Um, but I did think that you are going through the real life negotiation of being on the job market. I guess we'll just shit, jump right in <laughs> and then we'll go back. <laughs> yes. But I was like, gosh, I was like, and so you and I have been talking, FaceTiming, text messaging, like, I mean, throughout the day right for like the last week and we have constant communication and I was like you know what Angel, I think this would be beautiful to get on the podcast because we have a lot of first gen scholars who listen to the podcast who may be able to take some advice from this and you graciously said sure and so here we are um so tell us a little bit about where you are right now and then we can we'll go back 10 years later <laughs> yes guys so much Doctora, for having me here uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in the process of, of making a life-changing decision that's not just representative of, like, my hardships and my, you know, um, resistance and persistence, but ultimately a reflection of, like, a journey that started in the 80s with my parents coming and immigrating from Mexico, right? I, I am first generation, so I am the first one in my immediate extended family to have a doctorate degree. And, you know, that means a lot, given the fact that my dad only went to third grade and my mom only went to eighth grade in Mexico. So for in a generation span to completely shift kind of the trajectory of, of my familia and kind of what that means for our comunidades is really huge. So when I'm thinking about making this decision, I think I'm thinking about all those pieces, right? Like, what does it mean for the comunidades that I represent? What does it mean for my familia? Um, how will this decision like continue to you know influence my livelihood for the next 10 15 years um it's a lot <laughs> it's exciting but it is a lot right and you know what is that one saying says um uh i don't know what to say something about the crown heavy the, the heavy the head the, the burden something about carrying a crown <laughs> but um, but yeah, so anywho, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, of excitement and also a lot of unknown that's common for us as first-gen people, right? Like we're often in this liminal space of not knowing. And I think for me, it's really salient right now, right? My, my, my first-gen identity of not wanting to jump the gun of like, let me take whatever is given to me right off the bat because I'm just grateful to have something. And because for so long I was told I wasn't worthy. And, you know, so I think for me, it's battling that while also then advocating for myself 
and um, knowing my worth in a way that's not like, oh, I'm better than anybody, but knowing like, I know what I can bring to a department, to an institution, to the students, to the community that it's uniquely me. And I think that's, that's valuable. So it's, it's been a lot, a lot of emotions and how you said calling people, right. Which is so beautiful. I mean, the fact that I can call you, right. And, and I can call, call like a lot of mentors and mentors to process. Also, it's just beautiful to know that, oh my gosh, like five years ago, five years ago, I wouldn't have imagined that 10 years ago, us in, in our master's program would have never imagined that I'm calling you like, hey, guide me through this because I'm a mess, right? And, and how beautiful that we can. It is so beautiful. And I think last week as we're, I feel like we're, I'm on this negotiation journey with you. I'm just like in such awe because I'm like, wow, like we, we're really doing it. Like you and I are really out here gonna be whole ass professors like in academia um, because 10 years ago we were master students like just trying to figure out and just trying to get through the program. And it's just like, it's, it's such a beautiful moment, I think to, to, to kind of be cheering you on right now as you're negotiating and navigating this, um, this next journey that you have. And, I, I think about that a lot. Like you mentioned, like we have a, this first gen identity. And part of that was you received an offer from an institution we'll call Paris University. And I thought mm. it, was like, it, it was a great offer, right? We were like, yes. That, and I think the first call we were like, they came through with the Louis, you know, this is it. <laughs> like, well, you know, we have to do comparisons. And then you had a, another offer from another institution, um, Strawberry University. And we were like, oh, that was a coach offer. Like, we'll take it. It's a, it's a bag, but like, it could be better. And then we were talking about like the renegotiation. And I think even like what I learned through my negotiation, I was like, this is what I asked for in return. Like the salary is immediately going to be low. Ask for 10K more, like immediately. <laughs> um, moving expenses, expenses to like industry association, membership costs. Like, like things do you need that are going to make you successful in your in your first you know five years as you're on tenure and you were like all right got it and he, I remember you said can you send me what you sent back and I'm like yeah sure and it was like literally like a text message of an email and then you're like this is what I'm going to reply with and it's a whole ass spreadsheet with the rationale I'm like oh damn <laughs> <laughs> like yes come through on head like that's that's definitely better than how I responded because again, we also like don't know what we're doing, right? We've, we've never, like our parents never had, you know, this where they negotiated this, you know, these types of positions, right? Where we could ask for, for more money, where we could ask for them to pay for us to move to a, a different you know, region or a different state. Like these are asks that we don't know that we can really ask for, right? Like a home moving, a home visiting, home visiting, you know what I'm saying? Like a- Yeah, I a, got you. Yeah, <laughs> one of those. <laughs> like there are all these so many things that we can negotiate in our offers that we don't even, um that we don't even realize sometimes. Like even a spousal offer or, you know, um, it's it's just, and um. I will say a part of that, if I can share, 
with one of the institutions when they came back low and they renegotiated much higher. One thing I said, I was like, wow, if we weren't first gen or we didn't know better, how might somebody take that? Somebody might've taken that first lowball offer and may not even knew that they could have asked for more. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. the coach, the coach offer came back with the Birkin. Hey. So I had renegotiated and they came back. We're like, we're not, we're not playing. Here's a Birkin for you. Like, you know, pick us. Right. But I, it goes back to like, what if you didn't know to even negotiate? Yep. Oof. I mean, it's so true. Right. I, I think that we are often told and, and socialized to just be grateful for what we have, right? I think about the same growing up, like, um, like, just to think about, you're just so lucky to to have enough, right? And that's just, it's from a place of, of trauma, right? And not having enough resources, a deficit mindset versus a, an abundance mindset of, I'm worthy and deserving and not just because I am, but also I've also put in the work that matches that, right? Um, so for me right now, it's, it's figuring out and deciphering what are the things that I absolutely need to be successful and what are the things that are nice wants, but won't determine um, who I am as a scholar, who I am as a, as a professor, um, because those, the things that would determine who I am as that, I'm already bringing them right with me. So I think for me, it's really considering like, yeah, like if I didn't know better or I didn't have the social capital that I mentioned of calling people, I wouldn't know how to respond. I wouldn't know how to advocate for myself, knowing that the people on the other end are also doing a lot of great work in, in the process of you know, putting the campus visits together and moving all these candidates along. Like, I know that there's a lot of work behind the scenes that, that like, it's impacted by me making a decision or not and how soon I make a decision. But nonetheless, like, I'm making a life-changing decision that's for my family, how I mentioned. And, you know, it's hard because these processes are like five, four months long. Like, I don't know how long, right? Uh, like, and then like, oh, get us, get to us by the end of the week. It's like, uh, you brought me along this last four months and you can't even imagine like what it can be like until that final moment because of just like anything can happen and you might not end up there. So also getting your hopes up is a lot of energy and emotional bandwidth that can be wasted, right? Like I think about last year, I was in the market and I applied to so many different roles and it was just a whirlwind, right? Like. I wanted to be committed, like, yes, I'm going to be here for every role. And, and I was, but also the downfall is, you know, when you are not the one selected, it hurts, it hurts, yeah. right? No matter how much you prepare, no matter how much you're like, I know it's not me. I know these systems and these structures. I don't care when everybody says it hurts. Like, it's just, that's the T. So this year I was trying to be cautiously excited about everything and not get attached to anything and just go through the process and see it through and until an offer comes through, then be excited and start thinking about the possibilities and what this could look like. Because into that moment, I didn't want to put myself through like this like roller coaster of emotions, right? 
And maybe that's my own trauma response from my experience last year, but that's also a fair response that I'm allowed to have, right? That I'm allowed to be like, I want a little bit more time. Like I need just a little bit more time to consult with like my mentors and femtors and my mom and my dad and my sisters, right? Like I, they've been part of that conversation. My mom was just here this weekend and, you know, I told her I rolled out um, Paris University and she was like, ah, que bueno, mijo. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me that before? Right. <laughs> she was, because when I tell her, she's like, oh, pues lo que tú quieras or like whatever you want. It's like, and then you make a decision like, oh, I didn't want that for you anyway. It's like, <gasps> Tell why me. Just, why to tell me? Yeah. Uh, right. So, so, but, but nonetheless, like knowing that she affirms my decision, it's also just validating to like following my gut and my feeling, right? Um, and I think it's also this point of like any decision is a great decision. Yes. Like that's also just exciting because I really saw myself at these institutions. Like that's why I applied, and through the process, like you just lean towards one or, or another. You know that that just happens and I think that's where you have to listen to yourself and like the internal like something's telling you lean one way more than others um but yeah so it's it's been a lot of of of, of navigating and reflecting um yeah but it's been a whirlwind it's been a whirlwind because yeah I'm like calling people people call me back but I'm in the middle of another call with somebody else because I'm like I need somebody to answer like what do I do uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's been, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the position I find myself in because it's also so privileged, right? Like, oh, I have to make a decision on where I get to be a professor. Like, okay, I'm here. Like, check yourself. Like, that's hella privileged. So, I mean, I think it's also na navigating all that. I am so proud of you. You have no mm -hmm. idea because I remember when you called me to tell me your decision. I was like, I don't care. I love you and I support you and you are going to kick ass wherever you go. Any institution is so lucky to have you. And last year, just know every single institution slept on you. <laughs> I'll say that publicly. Okay. They, they completely slept on you. Um, and I'm so proud because you and I come back, come from the same master's program we come from the same doctoral program so let's talk about that a little bit because we have edds which in the academy it's like a it's like a shade to those who have phds and the difference in doctoral degrees and tell me if i'm wrong that you and i have had to work harder to prove ourselves in scholarship and in research because we have EDDs. And I feel like we've had to supplement our research experience, which in fairness, like our program wasn't meant for that. It, our program is not designed to be a PhD. It's not a PhD program. So then we have to supplement and like do extra work to kind of make a name for ourselves in the field and, and you know, to kind of carve out some space. Um, and we have two different research agendas, but I feel like we did we did that in parallel, essentially. Yeah, no, I think it's 100% true, right? The, the supplementing or learning, and ideally everybody should be doing that. We're like, we know that programs are not gonna give you everything because there's just finite time, finite resources and, and whatnot. But I think the undertone of it is that there's finite resources and finite time for you 
because you're not worthy of that investment because you're not going to produce what's intended to be produced at these maybe other, you know, R1s or other like uh, institutions that are, you know, have PhD programs. And I think there's those undertones that like, that, that, that really are then the barriers that we see faced, right? From not being able to apply to certain fellowships because mm -hmm. it specifically says PhD only, um, you know, not being able to um, apply to other academic like experiences because it says that, you know, those are very real barriers that then you have to maneuver and figure out like, oh, well, me not being there already then creates another barrier because then in those spaces, they bring people who serve as like social capital for you to connect to that then continues to build your career that you just don't have access to right off the get-go. So, I mean, it's been very real, right? And I think that's, you know, going back to, you know, being proud of one another is that we then created our own path, right? And shout out to, to our chair, Dr. Marisa Vasquez, who really has been the rock behind us and really prepare like preparing us and and pushing us to um you know become part of the professoriate like without her I don't know we'll be here right that we would be here and that she can see what we had to offer when a lot of people didn't because it's easy to like want to support in the end of a journey when people have already like shown that they're able to provide something maybe of interest to you, but it's hard when you're like the underdog and you still haven't done anything compared to maybe other your peers and people just disregard it as like, it's a reflection of self versus like, oh, there's various contextual reasons as why me as a doc student in this part of my journey, I haven't done X, Y, and Z. But people refuse to see that and just see like, oh, well, you're not trying hard enough or you're not pushing hard enough. It's like, uh, no, like we working full time. Mm -hmm since the get-go, right? And so it, I think it's all those pieces, you know, that it is It is this, I, I, I think that we were like the underdog sometimes, right? Uh, of, of the work that we do and like excelling at it, you know, doing it. And I think also has to do with the fact that we're trying to do it authentically and like in a way that's true to who we are in the communities that we're trying to serve speaks to it. Cause people also could do it and not be genuine, <laughs> right? That's true, that's true, yeah. So and yeah, I, yeah. I'll have Dr. V on in, in about two weeks. So I'm I'm so excited because I, I feel like she's been mentioned in almost all of these episodes. And I'm like, Doc, I need you scheduled. Um, but gosh, and I think I definitely there's so much credit to her because I remember even when I when I was interested in the in the doc program alone, I remember seeing her in the hallways and I was like, Do you think, you know, I'm I I was the straight up, I was like, do you think I'm too old to get into a doc program? Like I'm a mom, I work full time. Like I have all these other identities. I'm not straight out of like an undergrad or master's program and straight in like, you know, can I do it? And she's like, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you be able to? And then it was that same question was like, as a woman, I'm asking her, like, am I too old to enter the, you know, like to become a professor and to try for it, right? She's like, no, like, what are you talking about? Like, because I was in a different college at the time, the College of Business, and the perception there was like, if you weren't a professor at like 24, you were already, you know, over the age limit, <laughs> you know, in, in that, in that space. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I can do it. She's like, yes, this is what you're going to need to do. And she really, really femtoured us, was like, 
these are the places you got to hit up. This is exactly what you got to do. Like she gave us the fucking roadmap. And I, I put that shit in my back pocket and I open it up every once in a while, like in my own track. And I'm telling you, I'm having a moment right now, like, like five minutes before we got on this call. I, did you see the group chat? You, we were in a meeting. I don't know if you saw it. So we have oh, a no. scholar home. Oh, okay. Okay. We have a scholar homies group chat. Oh, I'll tell you right now then. So in the group chat, there's a link that I just posted because your girl was mentioned in a national magazine. Um, yes. And so I'm having a moment because I was like, and I, so I sent it to the Scholar Homies group chat. I sent it to Dr. V and she's like, I saw it. I saw it. She's like, put it on your CV. And I'm just like, wow, I'm having a moment because like, that's what our mentors and femtors do, right? Like they get cited by the press. Like, I'm cited by the press right now. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, I'm like, OMG, like, this is so cool because I, I also think it's so early in my career to be having having these, like, you know, I don't know, moments. <laughs> we'll yeah. But I'm so proud, like, oh my God. And I also think it's, it goes back to like, our like we're, the scholarship that we do is authentic to us and to our positionalities. And- I'm gonna ask you a real question real quick. <laughs> Tell me about your positionality and how it informs your work. Because I think that's the difference between, honestly, us and everybody else. Like, it's just authentic. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think ideally, right, hopefully all qualitative teachers are being critical and interrogating self. Um, but for me, right, I really approach my, my work through a, a transformative paradigm or a transformative epistemology that is rooted in wanting to change systems and dismantling systems uh, that continue to oppress and marginalize those who have been silenced, um, you know, from minorities identities such as queer and trans individual, black indigenous people of color, um, first gen, right? Like people who fall within this um, minoritized category and wanting to engage with the research in a collaborative manner that recognizes the systems at play and then moves towards wanting to do something to change them, right? And 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 destabilize them and dismantle them. And I think for me, that's always my, I think maybe my practitioner side of my 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 experience and, and into like my scholar practitioner identity because I was like, so what? Like we do research and then like, so what, right? So mm -hmm. how does what I'm doing do something to improve the conditions, experiences and outcomes for these communities that I myself belong to and are, I'm a part of? And all of that just rooted in my, you know, positionality and standpoint of growing up, you know, in Southeast Los Angeles in, you know, poverty right low income um communities where inequitable policies embedded through schooling prohibited access for me towards higher education or just education as a whole and inequitable policies also prohibited like social mobility for my family for my parents right my parents don't speak english so you know they've been they worked in the fields and they've worked as factory workers and my dad's now a truck driver so my parents have always been blue collared workers, right? And and working class. I mean, we're all working class, like unless you're part of the 1%, I think <laughs> we are or working class. But um, 
yeah, so I, I think for me, like all of those experiences, you know, formulate then the way I do my work, like that positionality and that standpoint, because I think it's also the, those experiences then that, that influenced my undergraduate, graduate career, my professional experiences. And then where has that led me to now? So where am I positioned today, like my standpoint in regards to recognizing both my, 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 you know, marginalized identities and my privileged identity. So how do I interrogate self and both and then move from that standpoint to do the work that I need to do and with the communities that I want to do it with and for? I think for me, that's really, you know, how my, how I approach my work and, and have to sit with it, right? Because there is tension sometimes within my positionality and standpoint that I have to sit with and, you know, question of why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? And how is it really benefiting these communities that I speak about versus just like, oh, I put a paper, yay, like another one, you know, it's like, but oh, what's happening? What's really happening with that? Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that's, that's like my positionality and standpoint. And so I, I guess a couple of things. One is, I think your positionality when you gave your dissertation defense, I feel like that's around the time where researchers were starting to really assert their positionalities, whereas before it was kind of like still a little cautious, like you would, you would only maybe mention it if it was asked. And you're like, nope, from the from like introduction. And then the next, the next thing was like, this is my positionality up front. You're getting where I'm coming from with my research. And so currently in my institution, I teach qualitative and advanced qualitative research, which includes where these young scholars should include their positionalities, right? And I use you as the example. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I use you as the example because I was like my uh, great, amazing friend, Dr. Gonzalez, has a very good strong positionality and it where it's just like this is who I am and you're owning it and then now now that I've told you about myself now we can dive into this research right and you can come from the position and so and I use it and I, I tell them too like even when I did my dissertation which was what two years before like I think we're like two years apart mm-hmm. and you were at my defense so I was a hot mess <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I think this is funny. I don't know how we got here where your girl's doing a podcast. I'm speaking on these places because if y'all saw me give my dissertation defense, I was a hot mess. I was so nervous. I couldn't speak. I've literally have never been like physically so nervous. Um, And I had like 15 pages of notes. But all that to say was that my positionality was like, you had to dig it out. It was like 15 minutes into the presentation. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't upfront. And I think it goes back to like being okay or like owning your authentic self, right? Because it took a couple of, maybe like a year after my defense where I was like, you know what? This is my positionality. I have family members that are currently formerly incarcerated and that's it. Like, and what? you know, you can't use that against me anymore. And I think that's what, like, when you take ownership of it, it like, you kind of take back the power, right? Whereas, like, I would get through full presentations, and then afterwards, 
I would be asked like, why are you doing this work? You know? And it, 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 there was a, like a negotiation, like, do I say who I am and why this is important to me? Or do I just tell you about the research? And then you realize that as a scholar, like we're qualitative researchers, it's, it's a blend of it. It's, it's kind of both, you know? Um, and that's okay. And I think when you lean into that, like authenticity, authenticity like mm -hmm. it's just magic happens, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think it's because um, going back to the importance of criticality, right? You know, I, you know, people sometimes would write position, positionality statements or engage in them in a way that was very passive of, oh, and I'm doing this research because I'm also first gen and whatnot, like listing a, 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 like a laundry list of identities versus making meaning of, and what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for you to have these identities in relation to the work and what you're hoping to accomplish, right? Because it does have to do about you, but it also doesn't because it's about the work and the people that you're doing it for, which it is connected to you and your community. So this it's this fine dance of decentering and rebringing, maybe decentering self, but centering experiences and knowledges in a way that you're able to really then, yeah, create magia with, with your collaborators, right? Because you're seeing it through a lens that you are able to see because you have a shared experience. When you don't, you miss it, right? You miss that what's happening because you just don't, you just don't get it, right? Like I, I think about it even when students share with me stuff when I teach and, you know, I think about the, the, the identities that my students represent and, you know, sometimes they're like, Dr. Gonzalez, this is happening. I'm not going to make it a class. And the next week they're like, oh, now this happened. I'm going to make class. And my response is, thank you for letting me know. Let me know how I can support you. And don't worry, we'll figure it out. Why? Because my lens takes me back to when I was in my master's program. When I commuted from LA because my dad got really sick. And I had to withdraw the program. When I had one thing happen after another, and in the eyes of people who don't understand these identities and experiences, think might think like, this was fucking lying. <laughs> what do you mean? You like your tire popped and now you have a ticket and your car got like repoed and you don't have enough money for rent. And it's like, yeah, all of those things happen because we are one crisis away from our life falling apart because we are first gen and we come from these communities. So when something happens that destabilizes our basic needs, it trickles a variety of crises for us. So to bounce back, it's so much harder. We don't just get to be like, oh, okay, well, it's fine. I just took it to the shop and I paid the, you know, whatever tire yeah. and it's, we're ready to go. It's like, no, if I paid my tire that, you know, popped on my way to class, it probably means now I don't have money for rent because I only get paid once a month in this GA ship that doesn't give me enough money to make ends meet. Right. So when my students tell me, Dr. Gonzalez, this happened to me, no questions asked. None. Now, if they're like pulling my leg, taking advantage of me, I can control that. But I know in my good of hearts, I know that I'm doing what I feel is best for that student and supporting them. Absolutely. I'm approaching it from an equity-minded lens where like, yeah, this could happen. And so can this in this series of events that for others who don't have that lens might be like, this person's lying and because they cannot... 
yeah, because they can't grab or comprehend the fact that these experiences are real, right? Right. But for me and for us, they are very real. It's our experiences, it's our colegas, right? So I, I think that's the way that it changes in the work that we do because we're, ever, we're able to then look inward, interrogate, examine, make meaning, and then bring it back up and posit whatever claims or findings we're making through this critical lens that's informed through our positionality. I tell my students all the time, like my deadlines are soft deadlines. The one hard deadline you have is the week before grades are due at the end of the semester. <laughs> and that's only because I think grades are a social construct and they're due to the university. But up until then, like you said, if they're whatever it is, I how, how can I support you? I, I get it. And I think that too, like I start the first day of classes with this is who I am. Mm -hmm. you see me as your professor but listen I'm a mother I'm I have you know I'm a generational caretaker I have these other identities outside of this role and so I give you grace in response that I hope that you, when I need it if I need it this semester you give me grace too right we're going to give each other grace we're going to give each other empathy and don't ever mistake it for me not caring. It's me caring in a way that you probably have never interacted with before. And my students tell me all that all the time. Like, I've never had a professor like you before. And I'm like, you unfortunately may not because again, it's from our experiences of what we've, like you and I literally have gone through. I feel like, and I told you this last week, I'm like, we've, um, we've scrapped to get to this spot where we are right now. Like, I feel like I throw bows, like I got my hair pulled <laughs> in a way I don't like. No, <laughs> like we, we scrapped to get here. And it's like, oh my gosh, when you, when you talk about like the experience in your master's program, like I have this vivid memory of us. There was a moment where you could not come down to class. So we were taking classes in San Diego and Angel was living in Los Angeles and you couldn't drive down. And remember 10 years ago, we zoomed you in, which wasn't a thing back then. Like that was more than taboo. Like, well, what do you mean? Like, they're going to be, are they, they're not physically in the spot. So they do, they get an absence or, and I had a, like a little chunty, um iPad, like the oldest iPad you could get. But I zoomed you in, we figured it out. And I sat in front of the classroom and you you were able to get the material or like, you know, the lecture that day. And we were determined to just help each other out, right? I was a new mom. Like mm -hmm. if y'all didn't know, I started my master's program when Melania was seven weeks old. Like Angel was on the side, like, yes, you could do it. And I'm like, I can't do it. And you're like, you Rolled up with it. a stroller, like to class. I sure did. Oh my God. So can I tell the story real quick? Yeah. I will. So I, you know, I was back then I was like in this identity. I was like having a crisis because our culture was telling me I should be a stay at home mom that I had no business one already working or two trying to be, you know, in this master's program. And I was really in a fight with myself because like, what am I doing? What am I trying to do? One day we had class and my, my um, babysitter, it, you know, it did, it fell through. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. I have my baby and I'm supposed to be in class. So I just did what anyone else would do. I just drove to class with my baby. <laughs> I rolled up in there with Melania in a stroller. And I mean, she was what, like, like four months old. Like she was a baby baby. And I remember crying 
in Dr. Harris's office and he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I have a baby <laughs> and class starts in five minutes. I don't know what to do. He's like, go to class. And I'm like, but I have my baby. He's like, so what? Bring her. It's going to be fine. And then I remember him saying like, I go, well, what happens if she cries? He goes, then just step out, like handle it. And then just come back in. He's like, it's fine. He goes, I'm a parent. I understand. And at that moment, he, and I, I've told him this, but I was so ready to drop out that had he given me any other like response, like a, like a negative response, like, oh, you should handle that. You should go home or maybe come back next week. I would have literally dropped out of the program, but because yeah. he validated me as a mother scholar in that moment, I was like, that's it. I'm locked in. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be, I'm, I'm determined because that, that was like a really huge just it just hit me that time and then thinking like I'll be honest we were in a master's program with like half I think half of us were maybe first gen and then we had another whole half that like you know a little privileged I would say and they didn't have the struggles that we had do you know what I mean and I so that's why even more so when I say we scrapped to get here like I'm so proud of us like we fucking we sure did, did. we sure did I mean <sighs> And that's how we would end up in groups together because nobody wanted yeah. us, right? Because right? like, oh, she's yeah. the mom, her schedule sucks. He commutes from I don't know where. So it was always like, oh, I guess we're going to be in a group together. They <laughs> like, didn't believe in work. us. They, right? They they didn't believe in us. That's yeah. true. We were, I don't want to say forced, but we sort of were. Yeah, we were it was like, like whoever's left, leftovers. We were, yeah, we were the scraps. <laughs> nobody wanted to, to do group work with us. And look, bitch, now we full ass professors. And what? <laughs> For real. And and understanding, like, I know everybody has challenges with time and, like, they want to make it as easy. So I get it. It was just, in that moment, it just felt very othering, right? On very top of everything. So. And, yes. And I just, you know, like, that fact that you can be humanized is just so important. And I think that's what we're trying to do with our research and, and our teaching now is that we're trying to just humanize this this very dehumanizing sometimes field right um I think about in, in, in Bell Hooks teaching to transgress she's talking she talks about um an interview she had oh my gosh well one of her colleagues who, who's a white colleague and, and talks about just the notion of embodiment embodiment and the way that her body itself is positioned in a very vulnerable state as a black woman in the academy in the front of the classroom and like the way she's allowed to think and be and feel is very different than a colleague who's a white cisgender male and how, how they can think and show up and feel and I think about that all the time that like us in our vulnerability it is scary yeah because the repercussions to a vulnerability can be higher than perhaps the benefits from this like institutional like lens. But I think our humanity in that vulnerability is often what's most impactful to our students. Yes. You know, I want to go back to um, a little bit about like our positionality and how much you should give. So when we talk about ourselves and you always remind me of this so grace, like just so graciously, because there was a moment where I gave a presentation and, and I don't always share, you know, I share my, my positionality, right. My identity, 
but I don't always share like very personal specific stories for all audiences anymore. And there was one moment where I gave a presentation online and then I had to immediately drive to class um, to, to lecture and I was having a fucking breakdown <laughs> because mm -hmm. I was hit with such grief all of a sudden that I wasn't expecting. And I, I was really having a breakdown <laughs> and I called you. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like help me like process. And you, can you tell, I, cause I feel like this is just so important for people like to really hit on, on like, not everything is for consumption. Oof, yes. I think going back to that fine line, right? I think a big part that we get to hold on to is the agency in which we get to then discern or, or disclose our pieces of ourselves because not it, it's not gonna not everybody's gonna appreciate it in the same way. And we're gonna be left like raw, right? With yeah. all that just kind of there because you know, specifically in a lot of work that we do um, in higher education, they always want diversity and they want to like have the gamut, but it really comes to like sometimes the tokenization of our experiences that's like put on a platter for like academic consumption of, look, we're doing this. Look, we have this person who's gonna like share their trauma story, right? I mean, we're, we're doing it here, right? But I think it's very different because we have a relationship we made We've made a commitment and demonstrated a commitment and accountability of self in going through that those journeys in a way that like when you just share something, people are just like, okay, whatever, and disregard. It's just like this like emptiness sometimes or like, oh, like I just gave so much of myself. Yeah. And it meant nothing to you. Yeah. Which you're allowed to, you're allowed to not care about what I have to say, right? Like that's you're allowed. So I have to then continue to do the work around where am I allowed to be open and where should I not hold back, but choose wisely of what do I get to share and when, right? Because timing is everything. So you don't have to tell everything at, at once, but, and there's just things that I can't like hide, right? Like I can't just be like, JK, I'm not queer. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm gonna show up in my queerness and my hotness all the time. So I think there's just things that like are just there. So I name them in a way like to give myself that agency before anybody names it in a way that's not congruent to how I see it for myself. And then asserting that as I like engage with the conversation or presentation or whatever context we're we're, we're engaging yourself. But I think it's so important to be able to like work through that because it's a lot. I mean, the work that we do is heavy. Um, you know, when we research as qualitative researchers, um, we're carrying a lot of stuff. And if we're not processing it and it's just gonna get to a point like, oh, that's a lot. Like that is a lot to burden and um, we have to find outlets. Definitely. And I was, I just will never forget that moment because I feel like I often call you with my, when I'm having some, <laughs> I, we have like our little Kim K, you know, where Kim K calls her friend. And she's like, is it safe here? It's like, it's totally me. And I feel like I've done that to you like 500 times <laughs> in our friendship. 
but that moment really stands out because it was really like you're like no stop doing that thing like or like take back some of some of that for yourself because I was I was really not okay like I was having a a break like a literally I was breaking down like crying Mm -hmm. hard I was driving I was on my way to class like oh my gosh I need to get my life together in the next 40 minutes because now I have to again perform for my group of students right who have no idea that I just had this fucking mental breakdown driving here (laughs) because I'm triggered by like all of my experiences I'm having to share for academia right who like may or may not care but I'm over here advocating for this student group so fucking hard that it's like just please listen to me you know and it's um it's so consuming that I don't think I don't think people really realize right like how just exhausting it is for us and we just got here (laughs) like we we are trying to like move the needle and we just we just showed up like we have so many more years to go um and so that kind of worries me right like but like you said like make sure that you have an outlet like make sure you have and we talk about this a lot like about self-care but like for real self-care like what are we doing for ourselves um because you know academia doesn't love us back right like these these places don't love us back um gosh this is so where can I go from here we just I, I just, think go ahead. No, no I think it's it's so true right like how do we find ways to take care of, our, care of ourselves and and beyond just like I'm gonna have a bubble bath or like really beyond like man I need to go to therapy to unpack some of this right I need to um yeah, like being okay, because we talk about self-care and then mental right. health and higher ed, but we still taboo it, right? Like, right. I mean, we're not going back to the humanizing of self, like humanizing of self means I also need professional people to help process through things such as like social and current events, <laughs> because there's always so much happening. And there's so much that my students experience that then I am their outlet and I help maneuver them to resources but I'm also the person for my family because they like, what does this mean, mijo, right? Like, you know yes. that. So yes, so yes, it's okay to say, yeah, I need, and I need to process this with somebody because that is important in order for me to be well and be able to continue to show up time and time again, right? And, you know, thinking about like, we're here in the long run. It is, we just got here, but also exciting to know that this is, I think the new wave of folks, right? Of thank you to all the people who were here before us, who did what they could in surviving and still are, that we now get to then maybe move more towards a little bit more of a sexual self-actualization of like, I get to choose certain things and not just replicate because I'm so fearful of retaliation, of, of missing out, of my career, like, really showing up and then being able to then be more of ourselves fully in every space and now we can continue that for then folks who are coming after us right like I think that's also super important and powerful that we get to do that gives me hope because it is it is a new change I think there's a new change and and you know with every change is hard and um but I think it's it's for the better Right. I think that the, and, and it comes because we get to model that, right? 
we are able to model vulnerability and care and you know the, these love like these these emotions that are not often attached to academics we're able to do it because of the way we've been mentored and centered right like dr vasquez always just been real with us yeah from the gun from the jump right like she's always just been like real you know i i think about my other friend tour mentors like just are always go back to your values what do you care about let that be your like guiding compass not what can you do where like not the flashiness but really like what why did you say you wanted to do this to begin with because when the smokes and mirrors are gone what's going to keep going I think that's so important too like what I heard I had this conversation I think last week actually last week there was a lot of going back with between I feel like all of us right with helping you and your, your negotiation and then her and I started talking about um Armando who was who was a previous guest on the podcast and she's like I'm so glad y'all two connected because we kind of started talking about like the differences of mentorship femtorship that exists right and like what we have is more of maybe like of a social emotional type of mentor mentorship, not necessarily like the technical piece, right? Mm. And so one thing she mentioned was she goes, when you said that he got it and that he was able to sort of read your mind, she goes, I know exactly what you were talking about because you don't have the agency right now to technically mentor, femtor someone, right? Like I, I don't have the agency to be like, this is how you get on in vivo. Like, I, you know, like, I, I, you know, that's what YouTube is for. Or that's, you know, can, is there a PD that you can take that for? But I can, I can cultivate you in like the social space, right? I can cultivate and uplift you in a different emotional type of way that she's given. And I'm like, yeah, yes. And I, I started thinking about that because um, I didn't even, I didn't preface this for you, but like, your postdoc. Um, I remember you having multiple, you had like, again, multiple kind of opportunities for postdocs. And you already had, you're like, I already get this from this space, but maybe I can learn this from this space, right? And also like realizing that like some scholar circles can offer you certain things, right? Some may give you that emotional social support that you need. And then there's others that are giving give you that technical piece that as a scholar, you also need to learn and know, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that they may not be the, the same spaces. And I think sometimes we go into that thinking like, okay, I'm going into this space and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this emotion, the emotional support, the social support, and I'm gonna learn the technical pieces. And that may not always be the, and I, I it just hit me last week when she said it. I was like, oh, <laughs> that may not all be the, always be the case, right? We may get this technical piece from this side, um, but we need this emotional support from this other side. Um, and both are important, right? Like, I mean, you can't learn the technical side of being a scholar for us, at least as first gens, without having that, you know, social and emotional support. Yeah. I don't know if there's in there, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, get, I mean, I think it gets back to like 
the the like as we're navigating everything the different needs that we have that we have and like who is able to come in where to support those needs because they're real right and and i think also the you know like i would say also the recipro reciprocity reciprocity there we go <laughs> reciprocity of these relationships because you know like i i I don't know Armando well. I know him through circles, and he's just really good people. You know, just buena persona, you could tell. And and I also recognize that like it is not by chance that we're also. I I feel that we're able to engage in this work because like we're able to reflect on our position, like our identities, and like like how our core identities help also destabilize patriarchy in the relationship with like mujeres in a way that like a cis man, a, a straight man, like, I don't think that, that's just different. Like, I think there's a very different relationship that I know I have a commitment and a, and a duty to like, do what I can to support all the mujeres in my life. From a standpoint of, now let me jump in and be a savior. No, but from example, like, I'm here and you let me know how to go and where to go and how fast to go and I'll go. But I want you, like, you have that agency for yourself and you decide it and I'm just here to, like, whenever you need me. And I think that is important because we know that the academy takes often from mujeres, mm -hmm. right? And it causes harm and also queer people and trans people and indigenous people and black people and, you know, people with minoritized identities. So we see it play out and I think that's why also in the mentorship mentorship relationship there's like a reciprocity and understanding of these like systems and structures at play and then the way that we interact right um because i remember working with dr v and like man she was like trying to just stay afloat yeah and yes i needed something but like i also saw so i'm like what can i do to be one less thing you need to worry about. And then actually on the flip side, what can I contribute so you can like continue to stay afloat? Yeah. I think that's so powerful because I think, I don't know how I look on the surface, but I feel a hot mess sometimes. And I, I don't know that it, it comes off that way. I had one person tell me like, don't take this the wrong way, but you seem really disorganized. And I was like, you know, in my past life, I wasn't, I was on top of my shit. But I think that I'm, I'm called to do so many freaking things that I'm in a, I'm in a constant state of like chaos, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'm trying to be everything to everybody sometimes. And it's not even the work. It's just like, hey, can you help hop on a quick call? Can you do this? Can you do that? And I know, I realize and I recognize I give a lot to the students because um, sometimes I'm the only person that they see that looks like them. Mm -hmm. And I know what that felt like in Dr. V. So like, that was our Dr. V, right? Like when we got to our mm -hmm. program, like, oh my God, we have, you know, somebody that looks like us, like, you know, she gets it. She, and, and immediately like all the students gravitated towards her. It's this, it's like, I, I kind of like, part of me is so grateful because I kind of stood back and she, she hella femme toward me. Right. But I also like remembered like giving her her space and like only hopping in when I really needed help, right? When I when I exacerbated like all my other options and YouTube, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I need help. Or when I was having a breakdown. But 
because I realized like she was called on by so many people right and then I kind of, then now like I kind of like oh my gosh like it's sort of like history repeating itself a little bit right and a part of me is like don't ever forget where I came from like don't ever forget who was there to lift me up when I needed uplifting and so I feel I feel that and a part of me is like you know I don't know yeah I'll stay up till midnight to get my work done because I've spent all day you know on calls with students or like messaging with students trying to get them through their day it's just I don't know it's it's a process, but I, I see it, like I recognize it. And so I see you in that, right? Like I, I forgot whose interview it was. Maybe it was with, with our other scholar homie, like Dr. Lazaro Camacho. And I was like, there's only a handful of folks who I know in our circle that will uplift and you are definitely one of them, right? Like mm. you are like, the, like one of them, <laughs> like one of the few that will do it authentic, authentically for us. And you do it all the time. and um, in I know why you do it and I, I love you for it because that mm. you do recognize that and you do see that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I, I don't know, I've, I lost track of time. <laughs> tell, tell me if you gotta go, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe like 10 more minutes back. Okay, okay, okay. Um, what is a scholar homie to you? Ooh, I was talking to Dr. Camacho actually after his episode. So this is really great. Um, we were having a conversation and I called him actually last week to give him an update. And he's like, friend, so much is happening. So, um, but I, I I love the way that he put it because I think for me, it was that piece around, I think it being a scholar homie is around, it's about the ethos of like cariño and support and wanting to see you achieve the best that you can and whatever that means for you. Like, I think that really is what, for me, what, what, it, what, what it entails. Because what we are able to commit to and give fluctuates all over the place, every semester, every week. And I think like with the scholar homies, it doesn't matter like how long or not how we engage in conversation. It's more like, you just feel that ethos of care and you're like, oh, you need something? How can I give it to you? How can I provide it? How can I step in and like be that for you? And if I can't, what? how do I like, I can't right now, friend, but look, I can do it this day or I can mm -hmm. do it, you know? That is all part of, of being a scholar homie. Like I think just the real, like I think just being real, I, I think that's a big one, uh, uh, ethos of care, of being real, of humanizing each other. Right. Because I think often, yes, we celebrate our wins and our accolades and, and that. But I think more importantly, we share, we celebrate our humanity. You know, like I just think about when Melania gets student of the month, we're like, yeah, Melania got yeah. student of the month again. <laughs> right. right? Like, you know, things like that are like, oh my gosh, Nancy got a puppy. Yeah. Like whatever our, our, our life things are happening too. I think those are just as equally important as the award or the fellowship, which, which mm -hmm. yes, like it, it matters that, that we're like making waves in these spaces that were in creative for us, but we're making waves and hopefully still reminding ourselves to stay grounded. And I think a scholar homie reminds you to stay grounded because you can get lost in yes. the thought real easily, Same. real easily. So I think scholar homies remind you to stay like to stay grounded. 
and why you're doing this and where you come from and why you decided to even like stay in this because you know this game ain't easy it's not it's not and I remember I was like I've gone through so much shit like I could do this like I could do tenure and then I'm like what was I thinking this shit is rough like we thought we scrapped to get here like we gotta <laughs> there's another scrap scrap. Again? like god damn like okay what round is this because I'm tired <laughs> but um thank you friend for that definition I think that's such a beautiful definition and for those who've been listening all along Angel was the one who gathered us during the early pandemic days for Loteria night and I just oh gosh and then that turned into like our exchanges online and okay let me bring let me bring this full circle for you okay so we started having like our writing sessions or working group meetings honestly just for community I think like we just needed to we were we didn't know what was going on but we just needed connection with each other and you did that virtually for us and the whole like me like streaming on Twitch like 48 hours ago is like I think it's reminiscent of that because you know like I'm I'm in a space where I'm so isolated and alone and I'm like what worked for me what way was I able to connect with community that kept me going when I was in such a like dark space and for I feel like a rebirth in that with like right now so I think that's such it's there's a connection there I don't know if you've seen it but but it's there <laughs> yeah um, yeah so I thank you for that because you even oh gosh during the pandemic days you saw me through my work I saw, I feel like okay our scholar homies saw it through my worst days but you saw like you've seen me so real and and in my rawest moments that I just want to thank you and I just you know I love and appreciate you mm. so much as a friend I love you forever um, love I'm not gonna but if I do, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna, hashtag ugly Kim K cry with you. <laughs> you are you are like the most amazing person. Um, you're such a pillar in my life. You don't even know. Mm -hmm. I think you do know. I hope you do know. I hope you know how much you mean to me. Um, but I I really love and appreciate you. You're mm -hmm. you're like my boo for life. <laughs> oh, thank you, friend. I love you so much too, and I'm I'm glad that I'm able to provide any level of support in your journey because you're you're amazing and you've done that for me right like the whole like you're two years ahead of me like that yeah you've been like and when you get to this point you're gonna do it this way don't do it this yeah. way because that's how I did it but you're gonna do it this I'm like okay you know right? like you, yeah. you just be looking out for me right from the gate so so I appreciate you so much and and I'm just glad that we get to continue this right that we just get to continue this now as I enter the professoriate and yes. enter this tenure track track life you did it we did it Joe. we did it <laughs> that we get to, that we get to also celebrate it you know we get to celebrate it because yeah it was not easy and it's still not easy it's, it's still, still not but but although we have to celebrate all these milestones because they mean so much they like i don't know like you submitted to a journal like celebrate like every every little milestone we got to submit and this is not a little one this is a huge milestone so you definitely got to celebrate and we will celebrate in a month when I see you <laughs> yeah um, we will we will can't wait so let's get into the portion where I call this or that okay um so right okay round off student affairs or academic affairs 
Ooh, student affairs. Yes. Okay. USC or SDSU? Oh. Dang, this is the hard one. I plead the fifth. All right, so this is this is like kind of like dream champs. So that means you gotta take a shot of water. No. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Jenny Rivera or Selena? Oh, I think Jenny right now. Okay. Bad Bunny or Beyonce? I know. <laughs> and this I, you is know, the day Be after the Grammy. This I know. The day after the Grammy snub. A Beyonce. I'm a Bad Bunny bandwagon. I just got into it because of Nazi. But yes, Beyonce since they that's these child days, so Beyonce. Okay, okay, okay. Banda or reggaeton? Oh, banda. Okay, I figured. Any last words for the people listening? Whew. I just want to say, um, follow your heart, stay grounded in who you are, because it took you so long to discover that person that they're no longer going to steer you wrong. So. You got this. Yes, they do. Thank you, Boo, for being here with me.